We finished a series on Romans 8 about God loving us so well. I want to kind of switch gears from now through the summer and um, talk about because God has loved us so well, how can we be good at loving one another? And I'm going to take as a primary passage 1 Corinthians 13. And I think that's probably, for those of you who use the phone app, version, um, you, you may have 1 Corinthians 13 already pulled up on that. And I'm not really going to refer to it much this morning. I should have given you some other verses. So, but we're going, to, we're going to plow through a number of different verses. Because as I looked at 1 Corinthians 13, and that's, I do want to unpack that for you uh, slowly... Um, I was just struck with the idea, I need to show you somehow through the scriptures that when we start looking at 1 Corinthians 13, that we're not talking about characteristics like love is patient and kind and uh, that kind of thing, that we're not talking about those characteristics as though just anybody can do it, and though it's just any kind of love. It's a distinctly Christian love that's being described there, which means only Christians can really, um, truly love the way 1 Corinthians 13 is describing. If you don't get that, uh, you, you miss some of the impact. And so I want to spend this morning and, and think about the difference between a non-Christian trying to do 1 Corinthians 13 and a Christian doing 1 Corinthians 13. Let's uh, use the common scenario. Chris, uh, lady comes home, girl comes home. She says, I want to marry my boyfriend, says sister or dad, mom. And, dad, and she, they said, well, why do you want to do that? And he said, well, because he loves me so. He cares for me. He, he respects me. He gives things to me. He's gentle with me. Uh, dad, mom, and this girl, let's just call her Christy. How about that? And we'll call the boyfriend Pagan because they know he's not a Christian. Everybody in the room knows that Christy wants to marry Pagan. And she keeps describing how good his love is. And she even says, and I want you to know, he never crosses any boundaries. He respects my Christian belief. He never goes too far sexually. He loves me um, with the best of loves. And then mom chimes in and mom says, well, you know, they're obviously now talking to dad. You know, Pagan really does love Christy well. You know, I've never met a man that has loved our daughter better. So uh, dad says, what do you do with 2 Corinthians 6, 14? And so, you know, they turn in their Bibles to 2 Corinthians 6, 14, which says, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. So dad, using the word of God says, you know, this is just wrong. For me to approve of my daughter, Christy, marrying this non-Christian pagan. Why would you want me to do that? And yet the daughter and the mother both say, well, you know, she's not likely to find anyone that's going to love her more or better. But why does God's word say no? Because God knows that their loves are different. Greatly different. 
As a matter of fact, they're so different, they're in opposition to one another. Pagan loves her with all of humanity, with all the goodness that he can muster. He appreciates her. He exalts her. He gives things to her. But the best pagan can ever do is praise her for who she is. Christy, as a believer, should be able to love him even more. And not just praise him for his praiseworthy attributes. But praise him because God has died for her. And changed her nature and enabled her to love on a different level and a different degree and for a different goal, for the glory of God alone. And he's not living for the glory of God alone. He's living for the glory of man and the goodness of man and the exaltation of a human relationship. And those are going to conflict. And God knows that and seeks to warn them. So many many times we don't get that practical. And we don't think about the implications of loving as God would want us to love and not just as the world teaches us to love. Can can a Christian love better than a non-Christian? Can Jesus make me a better lover? Did you hear preachers are the best lovers? Or did, did I just make that up? My wife believes it, right? Yeah, sure. Sometimes, some days, not necessarily most, but some. Christians can be, should be, better lovers. And if we're not thinking that way, that's why I want us to, before we get into 1 Corinthians 13, if we've been loved like Romans 8 has talked about, we already have an example of love far superior than the world. We've been changed in ways the world's not been changed. We can love better. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 is not going to be a series of self-help lessons on how you can just polish yourself up um, by doing a few things. It needs to get us into the very nature of God himself. Um, Non-Christians are resisting the spirit of God when they love But as Christians, we are yielding to the Spirit. As a matter of fact, the love of Christ in us is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Let's go there. Look at Galatians 5, verse 22. Galatians 5, verse 22. Very popular passage. And you know uh, this phrase I'm going to share with you. But uh, I want you to think about it a bit. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Let's just stop right there. There's a lot of discussion on is the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There's no law. Is it all of those things as different characteristics? Or is the fruit of the Spirit love? And love incorporates all of these other things. doesn't matter, I don't think. The application ends up being the same. But if it's the second, then you realize how full the love is he's talking about. Because these, some of these characteristics are the same ones you see in 1 Corinthians 13. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, are you a harvest field for God? Has God come into your life and planted his Spirit? And through that Spirit, has he produced from you love? See, that's a different 
kind of love altogether. The fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God comes into us, it changes us and comes out of us in this fruit called love. Another passage, look at 1 John chapter 4. Those of you who have joined our church, most of you, because I've been doing it for years now, when someone comes and uh, joins our church, you meet with uh, one or two or, or four or five elders, and I'm usually there, and um, I said, let me read before we get going. We would love to hear how God's loved you. That's your testimony. Uh, and usually what I say, um, if God has loved you and made you a member of His church, we would be sinning not to love you and receive you as a member of His church. So your testimony is a testimony of how you realized God loved you. But this is the passage I always read uh, during that time. 1 John 4, and I'm going to read a little bit more of it uh, this morning. 1 John 4, beginning at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I mean, if you just took that, you would say, well, the non-Christian, according to this, doesn't love at all. And so you see that non-Christians love, you can use the word love, but it's an imitation of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the genuine article. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And that's where I'm coming from. Romans 8, if God so loved us, application, then we ought to love one another. Verse 12, for no, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Quick sermon just on 1 John 4. I want you to see three things about love. First of all, love is uh, of God, love is from God, and love is through God. The love that we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 13, first of all, it is of God. God is the one gifting it. God is the one producing it. Let us love one another. Love is from God. Uh, it's not only... Um, a gift from God to us, but it is His very nature. It says uh, further down, God is love. It's not only from God, it's, it's of God's, of, of God's very essence. If you have Christian love, there's no way you can have it and it not be divine. It has a different nature. It's of a different essence than what the world offers. It is from God. It is of God. And it's also through God. God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you to let this flow through me to you to the world. That's the kind of love that's being described here. Um, what a love from God, of God, through God. The world's constantly trying to imitate us. The scripture constantly says they can't do it. Not well. Yeah, they can mimic 
the kind of love we have. They sing about it. They write about it. They grope for more and more of it. But we have been given something distinct. We must be looking to God for it. We must be loving well because the world needs it terribly. So as I seek to contemplate, and I encourage you to contemplate with me, just how is this love that God has blessed us with, this Christian love, what we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 13, how is this love really so different than what the world would bring me? I Great book, if you have time to read it, Jonathan Edwards' uh, book on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, uh, well, that's not the name of it. Anyway, it's on 1 Corinthians 13. Great book. He spends a lot more time than I'm going to spend on this. But as I read him, studied this, studied the Scriptures, these things come to my mind that the, the, the love that God's given us, it's controlled by the Spirit. You already see that somewhat from Galatians. It's not only controlled by the Spirit, but it's compelled beyond us. It's not man-centered in any way. It's not selfish. Compelled beyond selfishness, and it's constrained. It's something we must do because it's now part of our nature. It's constrained by Christ in us. That's distinctly different than what the world will ever be able to offer. You will be able to offer in Christ so much more. So let's look at that. First of all, a love that's controlled by the Spirit. How do we get the fruit of the Spirit? How does that happen to us? We looked at it in Romans 5. Let's do it again real quick. Romans 5, first five verses. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that our tribulations bring about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope doesn't, does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So how do we get this love? says, we, through faith in Christ, become right with God. And when we're right with God through Christ, he says, God then sends us his spirit. And in giving us his spirit, he pours out into us. This love through the Holy Spirit that, just, I mean, he starts, that produces character, that produces um, Hope that just never disappoints, no matter how bad it gets. You're always one who realizes you are loved of God. And loved of God in a way the world doesn't love. And enables you to love. The Spirit begins to control us and change us, um, our nature, through faith in Christ. Let me show you some other verses about it. Galatians 5, verse 16 we read verse 22 a minute ago. Galatians 5 verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. I just want you to see this phrase, that spiritual walking is something we do as Christians. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, 
we start living differently. And the reason we live differently is because God deposits the Holy Spirit within us. And the Holy Spirit pours out love through us to others. But the Holy Spirit does so much more. Let me give you another passage that makes it very plain. Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36 I think it's around verse 26. uh, It's a passage that shows us how the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, changes our nature, changes our desires. Um, It's what Ezekiel as a prophet was saying, this is what's going to happen when you get to the New Testament time. This is what's going to happen when Christ institutes His new covenant through His body and through His blood. Verse 25, Ezekiel 36. So I will sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean. I will... Uh, cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. Don't miss what the Holy Spirit's doing there. He says it's causing you. To walk. He will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Remember Galatians 5:16. Walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is there to cause us, to encourage us, to direct us, to walk consistent with God's word, consistent with God's commands. And that directs us completely different than the world is directing us. It he said, not only am I gonna cause you to do that. I'm going to destroy idols. One of the greatest idols we have in this area is exalting people. We want to exalt uh, how pretty she is and how good she is and how lovely she is. And we want to exalt him and how wonderful he is and strong he is or hunky he is, whatever. But we don't see, we are created, we have fallen to the idol of, of trying to make people our God. And it becomes self-worship. What we praise in others, we want in ourselves. And, and we're exalting man. And God said, I want, I want to destroy all of that. I want to destroy the idol worship. And I want to cause you to worship me. And the way I do that is by giving you my spirit. My spirit begins to control you. Not in a in a bad way, not in a way that robs you of your, your freedoms, your distinctive uh, characteristics. But he's, he's there to constantly be pushing and directing you to live consistent with my commandments. That's a controlled love. Non-Christian's love's not like that. Non-Christian's love is controlled by what? Controlled by our passions. As long as it makes me feel good, I'm, I want to do this. As long as she makes me feel good. As long as he makes me feel good. Which is why some of their marital vows are simply, we will love each other as long as our love shall last. Because they know what makes them feel good is their own passions. And sometimes those passions don't last. Some people have learned to Discipline themselves to make them last longer than others, but they rarely last consistently. 
How do you keep the love fires burning? That's the question. And the non-Christian says, well, we, you know, we love, love, learn love languages and we, we love different, learn different kinds of loves and we learn little tricks here and tricks there. You don't find that kind of self-help stuff in the Bible. That if you want to love somebody better, learn their love language and love this and love that about them. The scripture says, now I'm going to control you by my spirit to walk in such a manner that's consistent with my word. And if you, work, if you walk in that direction, you will love them better than they'll ever be loved because you'll love them like Christ. It's far different. Um, you know, if you've ever gone uh, camping in the kind of weather we've had lately with all that rain, you know, one of the most frustrating things in camping is rain. Because if, if you're not carrying a lot with you, you've got to figure out how to light wet wood. You know, and that's, that's not an easy thing to do. And to get a fire going so that you can cook. And if you're in charge of the fire and you don't get it going, you don't make other people happy. You know, what do you mean you can't get it going? How are we going to eat if you don't get it going? You know, there's lots of frustration. It's so much nicer if you can bring a little gas stove along. Because gas... It's controlled. That control changes everything. Now you've got a constant flame burning. And you can eat and enjoy uh, the, the experience. Think about the Holy Spirit. that constant supply of air blowing through you that gives you life. And it never dies out. It's controlled. The weather doesn't change it. The Holy Spirit is with us and never forsakes us never leaves us. So even when we don't feel like it, we don't feel like loving somebody, and it's hard to love somebody sometimes, we can still love. Because the Holy Spirit is saying, well, you know you need to go ahead and do that. You need to continue to walk consistent with God's Word, consistent with Christ's example. And so you keep on loving. Your, your love's not controlled by your feelings. Your love's not controlled by the surroundings. Your love's controlled by the Spirit. And that spiritual motivation, that new nature that's within you, you have a new heart. That enables you to love different from the legalistic rules and schemes and tricks that our world wants to throw at us. Well, controlled by the Spirit, let's move on. Not only controlled by the Spirit, but compelled beyond selfishness. Look back at 1 John here, a different passage, chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. Beyond selfishness, 1 John chapter 4, 19 to 21 says, We love because He first loved us. So you don't really start loving until you're loved by Jesus, until Jesus gives you that new heart and that new spirit of Ezekiel 36. We love because... He first loved us because love is His nature. You see it again. It's His essence in us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Patty and I were talking this... Uh, week about 
a number, not, not a huge number, thankfully, but a number of folks we went to seminary with who have now walked away from the faith. Walked away from their spouse. Walked away from the life we knew them having. And I, I thought about this passage. They were liars. They told me they loved God. And now they don't love me? Well, now they don't love their spouse? Now they don't love the church? What happened there? What happened was they were lying. They didn't have the essence of God within them. They didn't possess the Spirit. They had a good imitation. And they fooled a lot of people. They preached a lot of sermons. And everybody was convinced they were believers. Until one day, someone asked them, Well, do you still love me? And they said, No. It's like, What? What just happened here? So you've been lying all this time? Yes. Really? Because if you had the love of Christ, it would push you through this depression, through this bad time, and you would still answer, I still love you, but it's hard. I still love you, but it's difficult. I still love you, yes. Because the Spirit compels us beyond ourselves. The Spirit comes in through to others. It's not just us directed. The world's imitation, they don't have that mission in ministry to go beyond themselves. They stop with this idol of self. But a distinct Christian love pushes beyond selfishness. We continue loving others. Uh, we're going to get it at, at 1 Corinthians 13, 5. When that phrase comes up, love does not seek its own. What does that mean? I don't continue to build up myself and my idol. I want that to be destroyed. I want less of me and more of Christ. And I want to continue to love even though less of me seems to be happening in a very uncomfortable manner. The love continues in true believers. Um, Non-Christians, they love as long as they get good things, as long as they get good feelings, as long as they get good times. What's at the heart of love? Again, it's, it's, it's Christ in us that can continue to love even when we are having the worst of days and worst of experiences. Controlled by the Spirit, compelled beyond ourselves, beyond selfishness. I think this is what Jesus was talking about when he told his disciples about their love. Look at John 13. Uh, this passage, Jesus is having the Lord's Supper. He washes their feet. After the Lord's Supper, after washing the feet, he makes this statement, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I've loved you, and that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, several things in that passage, how is it new? Well, it's new in the sense because the commandment to love one another is in Leviticus. I mean, that's an old command. But he says, I give you a new commandment. 
The new commandment is, is this love like Christ loved. It's this love through the filling of the Holy Spirit. And he says, and this love will do something. It will show other people something they don't have. And the world says, well, I already love people. But this is a love that's being described, well, you don't love people this way. It's a different kind of love, you see. By this, they will know that you're my disciples. One of the things God does for His people is not only does He put within us His Spirit to cause us to keep His commands, but He puts within us a love and a passion for the building of His church. Every true believer becomes a churchman in the sense that you're pro-life, you're pro-family, you're pro-church. You are for the church. And the love you have is primarily for the household of faith. It's for one another, one another, disciples. The world looks and says, you know, you have a love for the church. You have a love for the disciples of Christ that's different than the love I have for, for my wife or my husband or love I have for others. I know that you are a disciple of Christ because I can see a different love. It's a love that's beyond you. You want to use your gifts and abilities, which comes out right out of Ephesians 4. Every person who has been saved by Christ has a gift, has an ability, and they use it for the building up of the body of Christ in love. And the world sees that one of our great passions is not only to honor Christ, but to get behind what He's doing on earth, and that is to build His church. And so we love what He's doing. We love His church. And we will lay down our life for His people, just as He laid down His life for us. And the world says, that's different, because you might not get anything for doing that. If you love your spouse, you might get good feelings in return. But there's times when you can love the church and nobody comes to thank you or help you. But I see that you do it because you are a follower of Christ. You have a different master. You have a different Lord. You obviously are worshiping a different God than the one I've chosen, the idol of self. Christ says, that kind of love is the love I have for you. A love that's beyond you, your individual world. A love that includes you in the body of Christ and builds up the body of Christ because I'm gifting you with gifts and abilities for that. You know, it's, it's that love Christ had uh, when he met the woman at the well, when he talked about the Good Samaritan. There's, there's case after case uh, through the scriptures. The Good Samaritan case where he says, the real, who's, who really loved their neighbor here? Well, it's that one who came along and they wasn't, wasn't even like this person. We typically want to love people who are like us. We want them to be one of us. And this guy comes along. He's not like the person who's desperate on the side of the road. And he drops down about $100 worth of ministry to this guy, never expecting anything in return. God says, that's the kind of love I'm putting into you. That kind of Love that's beyond yourself. It's for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, 
So when you think about Christian love, it's not Boy Scout love that we're talking about. And think about it differently. By Boy Scout love, I mean that, that kind of love that's just nice to people. Love is kind. But this is a love that's beyond kindness. It takes kindness to a whole different level because it's, it's beyond doing it for humanity. It's doing it to build up the body of Christ for the glory of God. That is far beyond where the world ever wants to go. Well, third kind of characteristic. Controlled by the Spirit, compelled beyond selfishness, constrained by the Savior. So many people don't get this. That Christ must be our Lord, our Master, the one who controls us. We live in Christ. 1 John 4, just a phrase here, I'll hit it real quick. 1 John 4 verse 9 said that uh, by this love... By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Uh, th- this love that God has for us is we, we must do it. He died for us. We must live now through Him. It's a new kind of living. Let me uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Think about that a minute. The love of Christ controls us. That's what I mean by the word constrains us, uh, directs us. The love of Christ controls us, having concluded this. That one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, we now know him in this way no longer. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away. Old thing, Behold, new things have come. Um, again, an, another great message just to think, well, what are the old things that's passed away and the new things that have come? The Holy Spirit is controlling us. The love of Christ is controlling us, first of all, to see we now have a new view of Christ. New things have come. So we used to see Christ in the flesh only. Christ in the flesh is, He's the best of humanity. It's that idol of man. So we used to see him that way. Now we don't see him that way at all. Now we see him as the one who's died for us, who's our Lord, who's our God, who's our master and our king. We have a new view of Christ. So second, we have a new view of one another. So we used to view one another, this idol of the flesh, as just someone in the flesh. But now we see that God has created us as image bearers and we are eternal beings. And eternal beings that need to be loved like Christ and His church needs to be built up. So our view of man, it changed drastically. Now when people talk to me, I don't think, oh, this is somebody I can take him or leave him. No, this is an eternal vessel of God bearing God's image. He either obscures it or He's glorifying it. What's my ministry that has eternal weight in this person's life and soul. Your view of people change. Your view of God changes. Your view of living changes. Now you are controlled by Christ. And Christ's word, his word matters to you. Not 
so that you can earn heaven. You've already got heaven. He's, he's chosen you. But his word matters to direct you in ways to love like he loves. So you hear this radio preacher saying, guys, let me tell you how to love your wives. Don't ever tell them you love them because you have to. You know, what they want to hear is that you love them because they're pretty. You love them because they're whatever, skinny, got the best hair, got the best dress on. So you got to come up with this list of praise. Is that what you just heard in the Bible? No. Now, the, the Bible's not against encouragement. I, I think all men ought to encourage their wives and say they're pretty. And that's a nice dress on and all of those things. That's called encouragement. And we all need encouragement on a daily basis. Guys need it too. But the scripture says, I am controlled by the love of Christ. Honey, I don't feel like much today, but I will still love you. Why? Why would you love me when you don't feel like much? Because I'm controlled, controlled by the love of Christ. I have to. What do you mean you have to? I don't have to because it's mean or anything. I have to because it is part of my nature now. I have been radically changed. I've been given a new heart. I've been given a new spirit. For me to act inconsistent with my new nature would be damning. I would be declaring myself to be a liar. I have to love you. Because that's who I am. That's me in Christ. I, have a, I am a new creation. I'm not the same man I once was. I am now new in Christ. And because Christ is in me, you can count on this love through me forever. Doesn't matter how I feel or what happens. That's the love of Christ. Far sweeter, far superior than just praiseworthy attributes out of someone's mouth that's oftentimes just trying to get good feelings in return. There was a story of a soldier I heard that went off to war, stepped on one of those IUDs, blew off his leg and his arm. Calls home, says, uh, I'm back in the States. And... Uh, Talking to mom and dad, say, oh, great, great. When can we see you? When can we see you? Well, a few days I can be home, but I got a request. I, there was a buddy of mine in the, in the war, and um, I want him to come live with us. They said, oh, that's great, that's great. Bring him on. I said, well, there's one thing you need to know about my buddy. Okay, well, he stepped on a landmine, and he, he's, he's uh, beat up pretty bad, doesn't have an arm, doesn't have a leg. And they said, oh, uh, well, you know, that's not going to work. Why? We've got steps to our house. You know, we'd have to build a ramp. We'd have to do this. There are just other places for him that is far better than here. So just come on home, son, but, you know, don't bring him. That's just, we're just not the best, not best. We're not set up for that. He said, well, we love you, son, and hung up. Well, a few uh, days later, uh, the police called the parents and says, we think we have your son in the morgue. Sorry to tell you that. We need you to come identify the bodies out on the West Coast. And uh, if you could fly out here, uh, let us know for sure. We think it's your son. 
He just got home from the war, and they said, yep, that's him. Okay, well, so they, they go out. When they get out there and look at the body, they notice he doesn't have an arm, and he doesn't have a leg. I said, well, what happened here? Does anybody know? And he said, no. Well, we think he committed suicide, but we don't think that the lack of arm or leg was part of that. That was through uh, an explosion in the war. And the parents then, you know, realized the obvious mistake that their son didn't have a buddy that didn't have an arm or a leg. He was testing them to see whether or not they would love him in that condition. As Christians, we should never make that mistake. We should be the people who said, it doesn't matter about your praiseworthy attributes. It doesn't matter that you don't have an arm or a leg. We have to love you. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's our nature. Because there's times when none of us will have praiseworthy attributes. And the world will say, how do y'all keep doing that? You must be under a different Lord. You must be worshiping someone different than I am. You must be a disciple of Christ. Because while we were yet sinners, he died. He knew how to love the unlovely. Do we have that kind of love? You know, the disciples were amazed when Christ sat down to talk with that woman at the well. Who would love someone who committed the same sin five times? I know the guy you're living with is not your husband. You had five husbands. Who would keep loving someone who had no praiseworthy attributes like that woman? And yet Jesus reaches out to one like her. Or take the prodigal son. The prodigal son coming back from that journey he was on, slop-covered, foul-smelling, nothing, not a penny to his name. And you see the father excited about loving him? No praiseworthy attributes. That's the kind of love that we have in Christ. And that's the kind of love God is describing for us in 1 Corinthians 13. And so many times we revert back to making it something the world has invented, and it's not. It's a love that's controlled by the Spirit, beyond selfishness, and controlled by the Savior. It's not polished humanity. Humanity can only barely imitate, but they don't produce the fruit. So should Christy marry Pagan? The question should never be, should Christian marry Pagan? The question should have been, why is Pagan not marrying Christ? Why is Pagan resisting the spirit which produces the fruit we want to see in this marriage? Why is Pagan so against this God who can love him more than he's ever been loved and produced love through him more than he could ever produce? You see, 
There is something far better than what pagan has. That's our love in Christ. And sadly, we miss it. And we make mistakes. So let's begin our study of loving well by repenting of loving poorly. And being called back to this love that only Christ has for His church. That's far sweeter and far superior. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for a grace that it just seems recklessly dispensed and lavished upon us a grace called the love of God given to sinners who've not deserved it. And it's transforming. Father, forgive us for forgetting the transforming nature of the love of God in us. Yes, we should be better lovers. Yes, we are better lovers because you control us. Father, may that cause us to praise you, honor you, glorify you, and live for you. Father, in this room, there's been vows broken, lives destroyed. Let us have the time we need to confess our sins, to not loving one another as we should. And Father, from that, let us move to the renewed hope that we can do better and we will do better because your Spirit has never left us or forsaken us. You're in us. You control us to love well because we've been loved well by you. Father, we thank you for that. Thank you for the cleansing from the pardon from sin. We ask that we would go forth this day truly as lovers of Christ, lovers of His church, and always seeking to love those who might believe because your desire is to build and grow your church. We thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.